0: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, with 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Daily Premier League News and Views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, how you doing?
2: This is Football Social Daily. I'm Jim and this is your daily Premier League podcast. Rocketing through the week this week, mainly because of the bank holiday in the UK, which means today feels like a Wednesday when it's actually a Thursday. But also because of the dizzying amount of midweek football that's been played this week, all of which we will cover off on today's podcast. Arsenal, back in the top four chase. Newcastle, all but safe. And the title race is back on and back in Manchester City's hands as well. All as a result of last night's games. We'll go into more detail very soon. Plus, we've got a massive game for Burnley to look ahead to. Their first home game without Sean Dyche at the wheel. It comes against Southampton and they are desperate for a win that would close the gap on rivals for relegation Everton. It would be just one point if Burnley can get a win tonight. We're also going to be looking at Old Trafford, where the club have condemned some of the songs sung by their fans during Manchester United's 4-0 defeat to Liverpool and promised to educate those offenders. But is there a bigger problem with football fans and behaviour at play here? We'll talk about that shortly as well. To discuss all that, a man who was hoping he wouldn't have to talk about that game or mauling against Liverpool again, Joel Tudor. How are you doing, Joel? Back on day three of
3: the... (laughs) Of The therapy session, I already did one yesterday, spilling my guts to it, now I've got to go through it again, it's like PTSD. We won't talk too much about what happened on the pitch, it'll be more about what happened in
2: the stands, which to be honest with you, I'm not sure was any better, but we'll get onto that shortly. And I'm sure a man who can't wait to talk about last night's victory for Newcastle United over Palace and reaching that
4: magic 40 point mark as well, Marley Anderson, how you doing Marley? I'm doing very well, Um, I'm enjoying watching my team play football and and win games every now and again, so yeah, happy... uh, Happy with last night's performance. I'm sure we're going to dissect everybody's uh, everybody's performance one by one in the next hour, so sit tight. Well, that's exactly what we're going to
2: do now. We're going to go through last night's games. There were four in total. There's a lot of games to go through, so I thought we'd do something we've done before on Football Social Daily. We'll kind of do a one-thought review on each of last night's games. I'm going to get Joel and Marley to take it in turns to give their thoughts On the games one by one, starting with Joel and Chelsea 2, Arsenal 4. I didn't see this coming, Joel. Are Chelsea in danger now after their recent sort of dip in form? They're being a bit erratic of losing that top four place. Once it felt nailed on, it felt like it was going to be Liverpool, City at the top Chelsea third and then someone else fourth but could Chelsea still slip up and drop out of that top four after results like this?
3: I was also massively surprised I said on yesterday's podcast how I just don't have any hope for Arsenal when it comes to them playing against the bigger sides especially away from home but when you look at Chelsea's defence these days I mean I think they've conceded 11 goals at Stamford Bridge in the last three games which is absolutely unheard of I think if you remember when Jose Mourinho was the manager they went a good 86 games undefeated in a row under his reign and now they just seem to I think Thomas Tuchel's uh, been defeated uh, 25 times in 25 games at home which I think tells you all you need to know about especially the defence because for them it just seems to be completely crumbling obviously I think one of the biggest missing factors was not having Antonio Rudiger in the defence and Malang Saar just had an absolute stinker yesterday he was just all over the place and Obviously you have Andreas Christensen who saw the ball bounce over him like it was Sunday League football. It brought back so many memories of a goalkeeper kicking it out and then suddenly it's over your head again and um we blame the pitch and we had every right to, but I don't think Thomas Tuchel did in this occasion. Uh but Chelsea we, I thought, and I said yesterday, I thought that it was an absolute cr- um, smooth sailing finish for them into the top three, but they are in a little bit of danger now of letting the bottom two below them catch up, because obviously Chelsea still do have a few tough games to go, and Arsenal still do have to play the North London derby, they still do have to play Manchester United in the next game, so it's still going to be quite a tough ask, and I still do think that Chelsea will make it there eventually but their defence is seriously letting them down at the moment and that was quite the opposite last year. do you think it is for Chelsea? I think it's... Is it just like the distraction of the ownership thing? Because they they were so
2: solid defensively when Tuchel came in and that like you say that's crumbled, they're maybe not scoring the goals they'd expect to score, is it just that whole ownership thing that's serving to distract them do you think?
3: I think it's a combination of a few factors, obviously their defence has been like you say, one of the main points of how good they've been in the last year and a half under Tuchel, but I just think it's the fact that one, two of them are probably on their way out where Antonio Rudiger and Christensen have already got their eyes on another club, which I think adds to their distractions even more than necessary. But I think definitely the the off-the-pitch distractions I think are massive and they have been massive. I mean, they have like a half-empty Stamford Bridge yesterday and then you've got the fact that Engolo uh, Kante and uh, Jorginho haven't been as effective as they usually have been. They were the two, two of the best p- midfielders in the world. That I, I remember was describing them as at the start of the season, and it seems as though Engolo Cante's had like one of the worst months of his career in terms of his form. And Jorginho seems to be in and out of the side with injuries and form. It is is a difficult... I think they're in a bit of a transitional period and obviously they paid 100 million for Lukaku and he's just not performed at all. It's just been a very miss of a season for Chelsea. They could have a silver lining with the FA Cup, but I just think it's been... The second half of the season in particular has been very tough on them mentally, I think. Niall was in our message group on Slack last night
2: questioning N'Golo Kante's recent form as well, so it's a shared opinion that he's not been at the races recently. Also interesting last night that Eddie Nketiah got on the goal-scoring sheet. Two goals for him, although it does feel like his future, still lies away from Arsenal. Mikel Arteta saying maybe he hadn't been that fair on the striker in terms of his selection so far this season. Let's move on, though. Newcastle 1, Crystal Palace 0. Marley, is that the game that secures Newcastle United's Premier League
4: status for at least another year? <laughs> at least. Uh yeah, <laughs> it it is. Um to be fair, we'd have probably been alright with without, you know, if, if the season has ended sort of um Without that win sort of thing, but um, that forty points is like the the magical marker, isn't it? You know, everyone talks about it, and getting there, you you, you don't go down with forty points ninety nine percent of the time. So yeah, to get there is is massive, and uh, to get there with with what six games to spare, I think it is now. So that's it's an insane turnaround um, from from where we were. I mean, we were dead and buried. I think five points when Eddie Howe came in. Um, five points from from fourteen games and no wins to to being uh to being on forty points after 32, 33 games, sorry. Um it's form that if you put that over a whole season to put it into context, you're talking seventy plus points. Um and that is, you know, good enough for for third in the league. That's how that's how well that, that's how well. That, that's context. Yourself, that's how well we're playing. Like that's <laughs> not like I'm not saying we're the third best team in the league, but I'm saying we're we're we've showed that type of so improvement. So do you back
2: yourself for Europe next season? No, no. Would you say Newcastle? No, top
4: no, four? no, not at all. But um, I don't know to be honest. Like not no, but I don't know where we're going to finish. But I'm hoping like comfortably top half with with another. Um, Bit of money spent. I think there's been rumours about fifty odd million being spent this summer, which is not a massive amount, but I think we need a, a, another striker and another winger, um, and possibly uh, possibly another defender as well. But if we can uh, if we can get that in the summer, then you know top half has to be the the sort of expectation and, and a push in 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 one of the cups maybe as well, because we haven't had that for a while and we haven't had the the league security to even think about a, a proper like challenging the cup sort of thing it's, it's been more of a distraction than anything but yeah i think with the the way we're playing now we've got the quality and um and uh the the talent and the players to come back to really improve the side and, and finishing in the top 10 comfortably next season um and the likes of you know Callum wilson have still got to come into this team and i was i was watching chris wood last night and i i just think with with the way he's been he's been doing a decent job for the team but like last night, he was shocking. Um, he, he didn't do enough at all. Um, and I just thought there's still Callum Wilson to come back. And if you can keep Callum Wilson fit for a full season, you know, he, in in a team that's creating chances, he can easily score 15, 16, 17 goals in a season easily. Um, so hopefully, we get to see a full strength Newcastle before the end of the season with Trippier and Wilson coming back into the side. Um, and we can sort of salivate about how good we might be next season and how where we might finish and, and so on because not everybody has good seasons. You've seen it with my new this season. Um they they could finish seventh or eighth. West Ham might might not reproduce what they are this season, next season. You know, there's there's a lot of sort of up in the air outside the top two. Um and can can Newcastle push into that top ten and uh, and be there if anybody really does have a, a big slip up. There's a bit of debate, I guess. You mentioned kind of signings in the summer,
2: some of the signings that have already been made, their future potentially being questioned already. Are they the long-term options players like Chris Wood? But you got to say Bruno Gomes looks the business in a
4: Newcastle shirt and he had another good game last night. Yeah, he's uh, he's far different to what we've had in in the past four or five years because he's so... like he just reads the game better than everyone else um he's happy to get it in tight possession like if he's got a man on his shoulder he's not bothered about um receiving the ball he knows that he's there and he knows not to turn into him to, to play a first time pass and get away from him and something like that um and keep the tempo high and you know he's passed for... he's in the goal last night he's, a lot of a lot's been made of Almiron's finishing and, and rightly so because it was fantastic but if you look at the um the chest control by bruno takes out gallagher and 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 takes him into a little pocket of space in midfield but as soon as that ball hits the floor almiron is like six or seven yards behind tyrick mitchell but almiron knows that mitchell uh, doesn't know that that ball's going over the top and he knows that bruno's sticking it over the top for him and he knows there's 40 30 40 yards of space there so it's that like understanding that we never had in the first 14 games of the season um because we didn't have a we had a manager that didn't 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 rate tactics, which is as as bizarre as anything. But it's you see the understanding when with Bruno, um, you know everyone knows he's got that killer pass and that quality and that vision to see it, um, and there's you know that's that's the reason why he's he's getting goals, he's getting assists. I think he's got three goals since he came in, um, and he's got the the all important assist yesterday as well. So is uh, a quality player um, and I think we've done very, very good business to, to get him when he was linked with, with Arsenal and things like that. We've gone in and put our money where our mouth was and uh, got ourselves a good player out of it. Good news for Newcastle. Crystal Palace feel a little bit on the beach at the moment. Their
2: results have been a bit hit and miss since February, really. Maybe not winning games you'd expect them to win, but then pulling out some results as well. So maybe they're already thinking about next season. Let's move on to Everton versus Leicester City. A late goal and a late draw for Everton, Joel. Massive point for Everton, courtesy of Richarlison at the very end. Puts them four points clear of Burnley for the time being. Burnley are in 18th, obviously. But the next two games are Liverpool and Chelsea. So... 100% not clear or safe yet by any stretch of the imagination from relegation. It might feel like points dropped last night, I think, for Frank Lampard because if they'd beaten Leicester it would have been three wins in a row and I'm sure Frank Lampard potentially would have looked at that game and gone, this is one of the games where we need to pick up a win with the running we've got.
3: Yeah, I think it's been a really good reaction from Lampard's side, especially prior to the Man United game where they lost three in a row. Um, It was looking like the inevitable was going to happen and obviously you can bank on United to give a team a nice little three points to get the season going again um, and that Everton one yesterday against Leicester like you say I think they definitely should have took more than a point out of it I think Richarlison could have had at least three to it just himself I think he missed an open goal where he literally hit it straight back to the keeper and he had the whole goal to aim for um, but I just think it's been a really good reaction ever since they got beat by Burnley 3-2 which was a, that was a terrible result for them just considering they're their direct rivals to be going down um, I just saw a ridiculous stat which was that Leicester had dropped 29 points from winning positions this season which is pretty something considering when you look well, it's quite telling when you look at the last two seasons and how they've managed to bottle the top four two times it just seems as though they don't have the the, the know-how to actually close games out. But Everton are in a, a really good position now. But it like you say, the next few games are going to be really telling. Obviously, they've got to go to Anfield, which is not an easy task. Then they've got to go and play Chelsea at Goodison. And then they've got to play Leicester again. So it's not going to be easy. And obviously, they have Arsenal on the final day. And Arsenal will probably be battling for the top four. So it's still not a said conclusion yet considering Burnley I would definitely not count them out just yet but it's been a good reaction and a good result I think that was that was probably as good as a victory just in terms of the manner that they did it in where when your team scores in the last few minutes it usually feels like a victory rather than just another one point towards it I think it'll give them such a massive boost Uh, the fans were going crazy at the end you just saw limbs everywhere in Goodison I think that'll feel more than a, a draw for them uh going forward but like we say the next two games it could be dampening it uh, could be dampened again and they could be fighting for their lives depending on how Burnley do in the next few games
2: credit where it's due for Frank Lampard as well bringing on Solomon Rondon and Deli Alley, and they did make the difference last night after the game Lampard saying that maybe Deli Alli has a chance to make a difference in the season so far, even though he's not started a single game under Frank Lampard yet. I think that was a bit of a kind of like a a public call out for Deli Alli to pull his socks up
4: and make an impact at Everton from Frank Lampard. Do you know what made me laugh about that about that game? You know, the, the winner, um, the fact that Salomon Rondon has been credited with an assist for that winner, <laughs> for trying to trap the ball. I haven't ball. seen the goal, actually. Oh, man. So the ball comes in, it's like a low... Low cross from Deli Ali. who does really well, by the way, Deli Ali. But Rondon tries to trap it like, and with his back to goal, about two yards out, and it the ball just rolls under his foot, and it clips his stud, and it goes to Richarlison behind him, and then he puts a deflected strike in and scores the goal. But I seen on the uh, on like Sky Sports and stuff, they were giving like assist a Salomon Rondon, and I watched it, and I was like, that's gonna <laughs> wind so many people up, because it's like. It sounds like a a good sort of thing, like, yeah, he's got an assist, brilliant, but he's actually just miscontrolled the ball and got really, really (laughs) lucky that Richarlison was behind him, but they all count, especially when you're down there, that's what you need to happen because uh, Everton are bang in trouble still. You have to take those goals, trust me, I know, you take those assists and those credits where you can
2: when you've uh, got a record like someone (laughs) in London. Right, last game, Man City 3, Brighton 0, Marley. Now, City needed a big reply after Liverpool's win versus Manchester United earlier in the week. So did they get it versus Brighton? Did they get the response they wanted?
4: Yeah, I, I think they did. Um it was definitely getting twitchy <laughs> after 50 50 minutes or whatever it was when just before Mares scored. Um cuz you know they, they were wasting chances in that first half and I thought with the uh, with the way it was going um you look at uh look at, you know, the crowd, and I said to one of my mates last night, who was a Man City fan, he, he said he said the goals were celebrated, like, with relief rather than joy, and I said to him, like, nobody enjoys a title race except the people that aren't in it, and they can sit and watch from afar, you know, no but nobody enjoys it, it's, you know, it's just tension, and, oh, Christ, they won last night, so we've got to win tonight, and they've got these lot at the weekend, so we've got to beat these lot before them, um, and or, or reply after them, you know what I mean, it's all... Super high stakes. It's great to watch from from our point of view because you know, as a non Man City and Liverpool fan, it's great to just watch decent football and then slug it out for the title. But um, as for last night, I thought you know City were were playing well. Like there was nothing to worry about because like they were always likely to score with that level of sort of dominance in the first half and the chances they were missing. It's always likely that one of those is going to go in. But you just think like, is it going to be one of those days where? where you, you just get frustrated by a side that's fairly comfortable with the ball and can frustrate you a bit. Um and then when when chances go begging like um like Mares when he had an open goal and decided to try and dribble rather than just fire it straight back in past Robert Sanchez who'd made a, a terrible pass. You think, Oh God, is that the uh is that a sign of what's to come? Is is there more frustration on the way but I always think with, with games like this you need something to just you they need some ridiculous quality or a mad bit of, like, luck. Um, and I think they got that with Mariz's goal because I mean, how I don't know how many deflections it takes. It's hard to even count because the ball's spinning and bounced that much um, that he sort of bundles his way past, past Lewis Dunk, the pass to him's deflected, and then even the finish that goes past Sanchez goes in off off Joel Veltman. Um, and it was one of them where it just broke everything. It broke the. Uh, the 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 sweating that's going on in in this in the crowd with them thinking oh god we're gonna make a balls up of this um, and it broke Brighton basically because Brighton don't score goals um, I think that they've won the last two but before that they'd I think they scored one goal since February before the last two games um, and yeah that was they were never going to get back into it with uh, against a side as good as City and then City sort of relaxed a little bit and and got the second and the third goals with uh, some, some decent quality and another bit of luck with, with Foden's strike as well. So, yeah, job done in the end, but it, it was a bit tetchy and it will be for the next few weeks until somebody in that title race drops points. It does feel
2: like the first half was a sign of how the rest of the season might go for Manchester City. Just that that tension and that kind of... I don't know how to describe it, just that kind of not wanting to make a mistake. And Pep Guardiola did say after the game that he knows and his players know if they slip up at any point, if they draw a game instead of winning it, that's it, the title is Liverpool. Is he right in saying that? Is it a
4: case of who blinks first for Liverpool City and then who goes on to win the Premier League title now? Uh, I uh, p- Yeah, I probably agree. Because with six games to go, uh, it's not, you know, how many how many teams sort of chasing the title would lose many of those six games. I don't don't think there'd be any more than one um having won, you know, what 25, 26 of the the previous 32. You wouldn't back them to lose more than one game, so I think draws are probably what it's got to, what it's going to come down to, you know, if if Liverpool draw, uh, it's a four-point gap if City then go and win. Um and then, then it's the other way. Well, it's not the other way around. If if City draw, but Liverpool will have a a clear sort of um, one one point cushion. If if Man City draw and they they win, and that is probably what it's going to come down to. Um, I think City have got the slightly easier running, but you know nothing nothing certain. When you you look at teams and say, well, they've got nothing to play for, so will they turn up? And Everton are scrapping for their lives, so will they want to beat beat Liverpool and and give their season? I mean, it'd probably be the best thing Everton have done all season if they they beat Liverpool and stop them winning the title by far in terms of their what their fans sort of rate as as success, it'd probably be sticking a spoke in the Liverpool title race wheels. But um, City have got to go to go to places and and you don't know whether the shackles are going to come off because people are are on the beach, so to speak. They might just find themselves and play better when they're playing. You know, likes of, uh, of of teams that don't like that mid-table teams. I think City still got to play Newcastle. Um, they've, I think Liverpool do as well. So you know, we could still have a big, a big say in the race. But it probably will just come down to the next team to drop points, and then the other ones are the favourites. I would say so. I probably agree with with what they're saying there. There is one more game from this week's
2: Premier League action to cover off. It's Burnley versus Southampton. Burnley's first home game without Sean Dyche. And we'll cover it off next on Football Social Daily.
1: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
0: Welcome
2: back to Football Social Daily. We are talking Burnley versus Southampton and because of the bank holiday, this is the first chance we've really had to talk about a Sean Dycheless Burnley. We've not covered it off yet and Marley has been desperate <laughs> to get his teeth into this one. He's been singing all bank holiday weekend about the sacking of Sean Dyche. Does it feel like a panic, Marley, the fact that Burnley Football Club have made this decision with what eight games to go of the season when they've shown so much faith in Sean Dyche previously to make the decision now? to get rid of him with what doesn't feel like a clear vision on what happens next
4: <laughs> yeah uh in in a nutshell it, it's strange isn't it because nobody expected this did they um it wasn't wasn't rumored by the press um it wasn't uh you know demanded for by the fans and then it <laughs> that it, it just happened out of the blue didn't it um on i think it was saturday morning or friday morning one of the one of the weekend uh, easter weekend things but yeah i to be fair for the last few weeks um i've been waiting for a sort of opportunity to talk about about burnley for some reason um and i wanted to to mention why is Deitch not under pressure with his with how burnley are doing like they're 18th we know they always survive they're a bit like a a bit like a cockroach, like they, they will always survive whatever it may be because they've got Deitch and because they've got a plan. And when teams drop off towards the end of the season, they get better. Um, and we're coming to that. And I think everybody knows that with Burnley, um, except the new owners. And the owners have come in and gone. And they've looked at, looked at it logically, to be fair. They've gone, we've had 30-odd games. We spent a, a bit in the summer with Cornet, and We spent a bit more in January with Veghorst with coming in. Um, And we're still rubbish. We're still 18th. We're still, you know, what was it? Four points adrift of of, of Everton right now. Um, And they've gone, yeah, well, this isn't good enough. But they've they've stopped there. They've gone, this isn't good enough. Let's get rid of him. They haven't gone, this isn't good enough. Let's get rid of him and get this guy. Because, you know, it's been it's been almost a week now. And I still don't even know who's the favourite for the job. Um, for the Burnley job, I think there's been talks of of chris wilder um there' been there was someone talking about Michael Duff who used to play, who used to play for them is now managing like Cheltenham or Chesterfield or something and I was like, if that's the level of of pond you're fishing in, then it's bizarre to sack him in the first place because we all know that they get better towards the end of the season, and i think I think they've sealed their fate to be fair, I think. I was always re- uh, reluctant to say yes, Burnley will go because of the Deitch factor um, and the fact that he's so used to to getting them out of of the stuff when when it uh, it comes to sort of squeaky bum time at the end of the season. But now they've got no manager and the the flipping centre backs managing them. It just it it just smacks of we have no idea what we're doing. Um, and I think, in all fairness, Burnley deserve relegation after after this and with the, the, the lack of money they've spent in the um and the lack of chances they've taken in the past seven or eight years in the Premier League, I think the time's up. Um and I think they, they probably deserve relegation now. So let's see what happens. But the, this decision just makes very, very little sense, but Dutch doesn't care because he was out on the on uh, Sunday night over the Easter weekend. In uh, I think he was in Nottingham having a great time, so he doesn't <laughs> yes, care. <either. laughs>
2: the, the irony is that if you're Burnley Football Club and you're looking at the situation you're in at the moment and the managers that are available, the manager that you want to come into Burnley Football Club, who's available is Sean Dyche. (laughs) That's the the weird scenario they're in. But Chris Wilder's leading the odds at the moment. Wayne Rooney's in the mix. Sam Allardyce apparently was favoured by the club, which is just Sean Dyche from 10 years ago. They don't want him. Oh, Sam Allardyce doesn't want the job, apparently, so he obviously sees it as a little bit too difficult. It does feel like Burnley have backed themselves into a corner here a little bit, Joel. They've made decisions like the selling of Chris Wood. And for want of a better word, it's gone tits up. So the board have to do something and that thing that they've decided to do is sack Sean Dyche but who does come in it does it's very difficult to see how anything other than relegation happens from here isn't it
3: yeah i think the whole situation is just lacking a lot of transparency because he was there for what 10 years wasn't he and he literally feels like he's been ushered out of the back door like there wasn't a crazy video tribute there wasn't a big thank you to him. It was all just very quiet. and there was nothing. It was, it was like he, he was literally just pushed aside and forgotten about. And for a guy who's literally kept them relevant under a shoestring budget, I, I mean, I think I had a bigger net spend when I went over to Lisbon and he literally had <laughs> nothing to spend. So so then prawns, like, they're, they expensive. Just show, <laughs> they're expensive. On they're on the, expensive on the Atlantic coast. But um I mean, Daesh has literally been on a shoestring budget. I think this past transfer window when they got Maxwell Cornier and uh, Wout Cost, that's probably been the highest spend he's ever spent in around 10 years in a window and that wasn't even that much and that was on the back of losing his best striker so for him to just be pushed out I guarantee something major has gone on behind the scenes in terms of a dispute a, a conflict between the board and Deich which has literally caused this this very discreet uh, exit which is I think so disrespectful like I said he's literally kept the club as a Premier League status club for all these years and I don't think many other managers with that budget would be able to do the exact same job that he did and I know he's very into the community in Burnley and he's more than just the manager there and I just think the way it's all gone about happening has just been very very strange maybe it'll come out soon once he gets his ten pounds payout. payout um, but I think who do you, I mean, who do you go for now? Daish was the the perfect fit for Burnley. He he was he represented Burnley to a T. And then now I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Paul Jewell took over or someone like that and they'll end up just <laughs> like <laughs> languishing in the championship. Just yeah, it's a strange move. I think they do have those new American owners, don't they, who took took over not so long ago. I'm sure that had a massive say in what went on behind the scenes as well. I think that's had a massive influence so who knows, Ben Mee might end up taking the job as a player manager. Like It doesn't shock me anymore, football these days. And you got a decent result at your place at West Ham. So who knows, I still wouldn't rule them out at all. I, I just think they have a sell a that clicks when it comes to the last eight games of the season. But the way in which it all went on has just been really distasteful on their end. But I'm sure more will come to light when... He's allowed to speak contractually.
2: It'll be interesting to see what the reaction is like tonight at Turf Moor. I think there's likely to be more of a reaction from the fans than the players. They certainly didn't want Dice to go. Even the pub that's round the corner from Turf Moor, the Royal Dyche has said, we're not changing our names, we're keeping that name going. For the Clarets, Ben Mee's missing, Eric Peters is missing, Gumberton's missing as well. Ashley Westwood might be out. He faces a le- late fitness test. As for Southampton, only Alex McCarthy in goal is their only absentee. Now, if you look at Southampton's run-in, to spend a little bit of time looking at them ahead of this game, they've got a great run-in over the last few games of the season. The only team they face outside of the bottom 10 is Leicester City, who still feel very beatable. They could have a decent finish here, Southampton. They could finish in one of their best ever Premier League positions couldn't they Marley
4: yeah um, I just want to I like how you said Westwood faces a late uh, a late fitness test even though his leg was backwards against West Ham at the weekend oh really was it oh yeah (laughs) that's a good point I'm just reading direct (laughs) off uh, off the BBC website to be honest with you (laughs) (laughs) tell you what that would be the quickest recovery from a leg that was literally on back to front on on the turf on Saturday afternoon (laughs) or Sunday afternoon whatever it was
2: he's grown a new one could have grown a new one he might be alright Oh my god! Right, well let's that. assume he's out as well then.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'd say yeah, he's probably gonna he's probably gonna miss a game. Um, but yeah, Southampton. Um... Oh, he's awaiting a scan. Sorry, I misread it. He's not awaiting a fitness test.
2: He's awaiting a scan. But yeah, you're right. Given the injury he faced at West Ham, it's probably gonna be a long term absentee.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, inside info on the uh, on what the scan's gonna say. It's it's absolutely knackered, mate. You're gonna be <laughs> out for for at least eight eight or ten weeks. Um but yeah now going back to to Southampton I think they're i'm always sort of um reluctant to to think too deeply about Southampton because they're one of them teams that when they get it right they look really they look really handy and they they play decent football and they um they've got threats um and you know players that can hurt you and they're a good sort of solid pressing team and obviously the great quality from set pieces and things like that as well but they don't seem to like do it when you expect them to so you can like I'm looking at them and saying you know they've got a you know half decent run in where you can uh, you can say they pick up points there they pick up you know three or four wins maybe in those final final few games but it's southampton they they don't do normal things you know they 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 lose when you expect them to win and they win when you expect them to lose you know so they have got Brentford, Palace, and Southampton. Sorry, Brentford, Palace, and Brighton coming up after this game, and you, you wouldn't you wouldn't back them to lose those games, but you wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if they lost all three, um, because they just they're all over the place. But when they get it right, they're a decent side, and and has been excellent for them this season. He's been probably one of the signers of the season in terms of you know impact compared to. To outlay, um, you know, getting him on a on a loan uh, for a season, giving him the experience and and what have you of a, a proper Premier League club, and you know he's repaid them with with quite a few goals. Because Southampton, I remember at the start of the season, we said or I said Southampton could be in, in massive trouble here because they, they sold the captain Bertrand to Leicester, they lost all the goals with Danny Ings, um, and the rest of the squad. They even sold Vestergaard to um, to Leicester as well, so you know they they had a lot of um holes to fill and to to patch up um and i think to be fair no matter where they finish in the table um as long as it's not in the bottom 3 which is you know nigh on impossible now i think they've they've had a decent season because you know we've we've seen what they can do on a good day they just need to have more of those good days in the future and have another decent um uh, transfer window coming up and strengthen a bit before Hasenhutl reportedly uh, hangs up his his cap and uh, and thinks about retiring.
2: What about Brozier as what well, then? Because I think he's been really impressive for Saints this season as well. He's on loan from Chelsea, as you say. Now, Chelsea have struggled to get a decent striker on board for years. They've spent big money on a load of players. They've never quite happened. I'd say the last real quality they've had up front was probably Didier Drogba. I'm not sure I can think of anyone since then who's really impressed. Could he go back to Chelsea and solve their striking problem? Could he lead the line with like a, a Timo Werner and a Havertz either side or something like that? Because Lukaku doesn't seem like he's really that interested this season.
4: Yeah, I think th- with, with with Chelsea, I think they're they're probably in a position where they can't Well, they could, but they they can't really go out and spend another huge fee on a on a striker to replace Lukaku in the summer. I think most of what they, they spend in the summer has to be what they might get if Lukaku can be sold, if they can sell him back to Inter for for 70000000 five, seventy million, they'd, they'd probably accept that um, and say, you know what, you just, just it has not worked, to get off our our hands. We need the wages, we need the money, um, and I think if they can they can identify a striker as well. So if they got Lukaku out and bought and give Broyer more of a chance next season, you know, I think they've got um, the budget there to go and sign. A different striker as well, um, so they can have Werner Lukaku and somebody else. And they've also got a lot of big earners that they could sell on for 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 profit to, um, well not for profit but for decent amounts to to bulk them up a bit this summer because Chelsea have got not an easy not a straightforward summer because the, the players that are out of contract you know Rudiger, Christensen, Aspillaqueta is meant to be going that leaves them with pretty much no centre-backs except the 37, 38-year-old Thiago Silva. So they need to do a lot of work in defence. Um, they need to sort out the, the Lukaku situation. Uh, they've still got Kepa, reasonable Balaga on the books, who's, who's taken up a lot of wages and might be worth a few quid to, to maybe a Spanish team who wants to come back for him. But in terms of Breuer, I definitely think there's a role there for him next season because he's, he's proved that a, a sort of the bottom half clubs that he can do he can do the job and he can score goals in the Premier League. Um, so I think if you put him in the Chelsea squad with better service and better players around him, um, you know, you could you could easily see him getting ten or twelve goals in all competitions next season and, and helping Chelsea out in the Champions League and, and, and their busier schedule rather than rely on Kai Havertz to, to play a slightly unfamiliar centre forward role and, and chip in with the majority of the goals. So I think there's a there's a role for him there and it's it's how the loan system can can work well. We've seen it as well with Conor Gallagher doing doing something similar. Um and to an extent Billy Gilmore at, at Norwich but maybe not too much. But yeah, I mean Chelsea have got plenty of uh plenty of opportunity for the for the guys who've been out alone to come back in and, and state the claim for next season. There's an interesting
2: bit of breaking news where it comes to Chelsea as well. We won't talk about this today. We'll leave it for tomorrow's Football Social Daily. But apparently Martin Broughton's bid to try and purchase Chelsea Football Club from Roman Abramovich has been boosted by involvement from Lewis Hamilton and Serena Williams. Who are both interested in investing and backing the bid with cold hard cash? So we'll delve into that a little bit more on tomorrow's Football <laughs> Social Daily, and we'll finish today's Football Social Daily by looking back at Manchester United. Not the embarrassment on the pitch, but the embarrassment off it. We'll talk about it next on the podcast.
1: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
2: Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the final bit of today's podcast we're going to spend looking back at Manchester United's mauling by Liverpool, much to Joel's dismay. It's not what we're going to talk about on the pitch, though. It's going to be focused on what's happened off the pitch during that game because over the last 24 hours, Manchester United have condemned, as they put it, unacceptable behaviour from their fans Hillsborough chants were sung at Old Trafford during that defeat by Liverpool and you can understand the upset that has caused amongst the footballing community. Now I'll read you the statement from Manchester United A spokesperson said Manchester United stands in solidarity with Liverpool and its fans in remembering the victims of the Hillsborough disaster Offensive chants about the tragedy are completely unacceptable and we will work with our supporters groups to educate fans on the issue. Let's start with you Joel because you're a Manchester United fan and you probably no doubt felt anger. You no doubt were hurting after that result. But at the same time, I know you, you're a reasonable bloke. And I'm imagining you, even feeling that level of anger, realise that that is no way to behave. It is unacceptable to sing songs about events such as Hillsborough on a football terrace.
3: Yeah, it's not good. It's not good at all. Um, I've seen it firsthand when I've been to, you know, United-Liverpool games in the past and it's always been the same with both sets of fans. Um, it's just it's just how fierce the rivalry is and again, it's not like me condemning it. It's the fact that this rivalry has gone on for years and years and years and when, like you say, emotions are running high and one team's getting absolutely, getting the mick mic taken out of them, of course, I think it's going to antagonise one set of fans as it has been i think when you think back to maybe 10 years ago when Kenny Dalglish said uh, uh, prior uh, after the incident with ever and suarez how the fans were having like a good set of banter between each other i think we've come a long way since then um where football clubs the authorities are really starting to address or actually pay s- some light on the situation and i think in this situation specifically the fact that prior to all of the chants being sung at the start of the game when the whole of Anfield were actually up for Cristiano Ronaldo after he unfortunately lost his son um, a few days ago I thought it was a really nice touch that um, something that they definitely didn't have to do as well so I think that's what probably led to an even bigger outrage than it probably would have considering like I say it usually happens at most games between both sets of fans and I think the fact that Liverpool were respectful in that case towards one of United's players, um, I think that just adds to their case even more. And that's why I just think it's just it's not good at all and it just shouldn't be stamped out. But I've heard from Liverpool fans saying how you know fans should be banned for this type of thing. And I just say, well, how far do you go with this situation then? Because fans, one, a 100% not going to be banned for this type of thing because then you're going to end up banning what thousand people from a game it's just it's not realistic at all um, like, if, and if, when should, clubs also come out
2: if you've got a thousand fans misbehaving then should you ban a thousand fans like if you've got a thousand fans do it singing racist chants for example then do you ban that a thousand fans surely it, it, i mean I, I kind of i kind of agree with you and i kind of don't agree with you at the same time because you see this all over football manchester united fans will have heard songs being sung from opposition fans about the Munich Air disaster. You've got Tottenham fans in their own stadium, a portion of them singing songs about the Jewish community, which are deemed offensive by some, but then for some people it's part of the identity of the football club. So I kind of see what you're saying in that you can't go, boom, you're banned because of what you've done on this occasion because it doesn't feel... It it doesn't feel... That severe, if you know what I mean. I'm not downplaying what happened in any way and I'm not downplaying the significance of the Hillsborough disaster. But at the same time, if you want to eradicate this stuff, you are I was saying we're going to educate fans. We're going to educate. I mean, what does that mean? What exactly are they going to do? Are they going to talk about? That's this?
3: just that's just why that's just their uh, greenwashing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it's just it's, a, it, it's never going to happen. Ed, educating is just a way to say we've heard it, we're acknowledging it, and we're trying to not condone it. It's basically just taking the moral high ground, isn't it? But it's not really doing much. So, short-term sure, ban
2: could... then is the only way to go forward, isn't it?
3: Well, then this is what I mean. How far do you go with it? Do you do it for every single offensive chant? Every single chant that swears in it? Every single chant that's a little bit? you know, more than what is typically deemed as acceptable at a football game. And like you say, it happens everywhere in every country. I do think we do need to move on from this kind of very vulgar chanting, which just doesn't have a place in football anymore. And I don't think it should have, but like I say, football has moved on massively in 10 years um, where it's all these type of things are starting to get shone on a lot more than they used to, where before it was seen as kind of banter Whereas now it's it's something that's just it's just distasteful, it's not right. Um, and I just think it doesn't belong in football anymore, which I think is the reason why it's been clamped down on more now than
2: ever. This kind of verging into the no-go areas of Football Mali has been something that's often been levelled at the non-match-going fans about... The guys on social media who just watch games on telly and then talk about it with their friends via their keyboards and all that kind of thing. But are we seeing a change in fan behaviour in stadiums now, or has this always been there? I'm kind of thinking about looking at the recent example and going back to the Everton. Sorry, going back to the Manchester United, Liverpool game and the minute silence or the minute applause that Liverpool fans held for as tribute or support of Cristiano Ronaldo on the seventh minute. Now. Liverpool fans on social media there's been arguments between City and Everton and Liverpool about whether that should have happened and whether you should support a rival player in that way but that is very much a social media argument and it feels very off colour and very distasteful that is kind of par for the course on social media that's the way it works on Twitter and whatnot but here we're seeing it kind of creeping into a football stadium do you think there is a problem across the board with fan behaviour or has it always been there am I just
4: being really naive um I think it's probably always been there um but with with social media being such a thing, you know you can't look at you can't look at a picture of a crowd without probably thirty or forty or fifty percent of them having their phones out and filming the game um so everything you possibly do is is gonna be um it's, it's gonna be caught somewhere um and somehow like it's gonna be on snapchat instagram facebook twitter whatever it is. It's probably gonna be uh be caught and especially if you chant something because you know if if you chant something you, you draw attention to yourself, you know, if if you stand in a football crowd and shout as loud as you can, you know, how many how many people can hear you? You're probably talking five hundred or a thousand people can hear your voice. Um if you if you time it right and you know and you're the guy who everybody knows where the thing's coming from. So it's easy enough to to be pointed out like that and um you just, you've kind of just got to hope it it goes away because it's it's similar to the to the racist thing we, you know we, we're probably talking this summer again about or or next next year we'll probably talk again about um racist chanting when england go away to an eastern european country or something like that um and it's a similar sort of everybody knows it's wrong but it still happens and i think with um with what Joel was saying there about you know the the whole educating fans line, it's just it's just a cop out really because you can't educate somebody who who already thinks it's right to or thinks it's okay to chant about um, Hillsborough and and anything really because that same fan would be absolutely fuming and and furious to the point of of they wanted to attack the other player the other fan if that fan had been chanting about Munich to, to the Ban United fan, like there's a line you don't cross and it's there and everybody knows where the line is and everybody can see the line and stays away from it really. But those, those little percentages who just think it's all right because, because it'll get them some clout on social media and, and you know, people might be DMing them going, oh yeah, good. You know, nice one mate, you know, stick it up them reds from, from Merseyside, blah, 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 whatever it might be. Like, they think it's justified for that, but I don't get it to be honest. Because you know, if if there's one team that can't, if there's one team in one club that knows what it's like to have a disaster happen to them, it's Man United, um, and it's Man United and Liverpool. So chanting each things about each other is that, that crosses that line. is just bizarre.
2: It's forgotten though, isn't it? It's like with every generation of fans that come along, it kind of moves a little bit further away, and it's almost like. This this is this is the issue, I think. I think the words that are being sung, they don't really have any meaning, be it Hillsborough or be it Munich or, or or be it whatever is the subject of these chants. To the people who are singing them, they probably don't really appreciate the history around it and they don't appreciate the context. It's just something that you can say that winds up the people in the other colour
4: shirts. Yeah, it, it, it does get watered down slightly. Um it it happens that that's just the way things things work. People think it's it's not as serious as it is, but you know it's one thing that you know chanting about Hillsborough or whatever it might be from the comfort of of your end. You know, realistically, if you if if you're a Man United fan sat in Anfield surrounded by two and a half thousand other Man United fans and you chant about Hillsborough, they might not all agree with you. Um, you know your own fans might not all agree with you, but you're not going to get battered. You know, no one's going to turn around and, and say that's too far. You know, stop being a div. They might say it, but they're not going to do anything about it. However, if you walked into a one of the pubs outside Anfield and chanted that, you wouldn't leave it. You would be beaten to a pulp because that's how much it means to people. And this is what it's. It, this is what people don't understand. You know, when when it passes down through the generations, and sometimes when you get the the day tripper fans who go to the uh, to the to, to the stadium and haven't been fans, you know, all their lives and things like that, um, and they think, oh, yeah, it's all right. This will wind them up. They, we're losing the game, so we'll try and wind them up. There's still a line there to uh, to to adhere to and to stay behind. And too many fans just think, now, oh, it, well, I'll say it and I'll get a bit of a reaction. But you know, if you you say that in the in the wrong place at the wrong time, you you're in serious trouble. Um, and You'll you'll experience that if you uh, if you ever see the scenes around um in the pubs around Anfield on a match day. And similarly, if you said something about Munich in Manchester on a match day, um you would you would find out the consequences of it pretty quickly, I would think. Do you know what? That's exactly the punishment. Let's forget about the band situation or the
2: education. If you were singing the songs at Manchester United about Hillsborough, you should have to go and stand on Albert Docks on your own. And sing the same songs and see exactly what happens. The punishment would fit the crime, I think you've got to safely say. Right, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. As always, you can find your next favourite sport podcast at sport-social.co.uk and we'll see you tomorrow for another dose of football stuff. Bye-bye.
1: Football Social Daily. Find
3: more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.